Hello and welcome to Hear and Know, a new podcast presented by Hill and Knowlton Strategies, a global communications agency with a simple goal to drive growth, build reputation and protect against risk. Hello and welcome to this Christmas special fourth episode. Today, we're going to be going beyond artificial intelligence and intellectual property. We're going to be talking about regulation of the internet in the European Union. And the reason we're going to do that is that there have been two major pieces of new legislation published just last week. One is the Digital Services Act and the other is the Digital Markets Act. We're going to focus mainly on the Digital Markets Act, which is essentially the European Union's response to the immense power of companies like Google, Apple, Facebook and Amazon, fondly known in Brussels circles by the acronym GAFA. And to help me do that, I am delighted to welcome two very experienced people in the field of European digital policy and regulation. Damien Gerardin is the founding partner of Gerardin Partners a law firm in Brussels specialising in competition law. And Thomas Tindemans is the chairman of Hill and Knowlton Strategies in Brussels and extremely expert in how the EU legislative machine operates. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. So, um, Thomas, perhaps I can start with you. Could you just um, tell us what these two pieces of legislation are all about and why have they come now? Well, the EU has been frustrated for a long time that major um, internet-based companies that we know under the name GAFAS, but it's broader than just these four letters of the acronym, seem to be able to escape any jurisdiction by the EU, be it on taxes, be it on competitive behavior, be it on... Um, the way they deal with data and privacy. Um, And that frustration in the EU has led to uh, finding new ways of of controlling, if you want, um, the online business, the online markets. And so um, fundamentally, that's what these two proposals try to do. It's to ensure that legislation that applies to uh, brick and mortar business also can be enforced online. Um, And that is the fundamental drive behind this. And what is the difference between these two draft laws, the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act? Um, If I simplify grossly, and uh, that's a bit unfair if you look at the uh, thick pile of paper that these proposals uh, form, Um, but the Digital Markets Act is about company behavior is um, how um, companies deal with other companies, small companies, large companies, dominant companies, gatekeeping companies. The Digital Services Act is more about protecting the consumer, upholding the rights of the individuals. Um, And that goes uh, to protection of, uh, against uh, illegal or harmful content, that goes about uh, access to content, goes about uh, uh, knowing that you are dealing with traders that are identifiable uh, and not uh, ghost companies and all these uh, elements. So again, grossly simplifying markets, Digital Markets Act is about companies, Digital Services Act is about consumers. Okay, but put to, put those two things together and it really is a pretty all-encompassing set 
of uh, legislative proposals. It is really the most ambitious regulatory intervention on uh, online economy. Yeah, absolutely. And the last time the European Union looked quite so um, <clears throat> in quite such a coherent manner at the internet was 2000, and Facebook didn't even exist in 2000, which just shows quite how much has changed over over that period of time. Damien, have you got any comment on on that? Yes, I mean the world has has changed fundamentally. Uh, 20 years ago, uh, the internet was still at its uh, beginning. Um, and uh, since then, of course, a lot of the of business activities and a lot of the, the life of people more generally have moved online. What we've seen also in the last 20 years is uh, the growth of a small number of digital platforms, uh, companies like Google or uh, Facebook or Amazon, Apple and, and some others. And, and indeed, uh, as Thomas mentioned, I think there's a a growing concern that these companies might end up being totally unregulated, either because uh, competition law is not capable of um, actually restoring competition when it has been breached, or because um, you know these companies are so powerful that they can just pay fines uh, as a cost of, of doing business. So, so I think that indeed in the in the European Union, there's a growing feeling that uh, while these companies provide very valuable services and um, certainly contribute to wealth creation, uh, at the same time, they need to be subject to some constraints. And that is really what has changed, I think, in the last uh, few years. Yes, and certainly constraining these immensely powerful platforms such as Google, Amazon, Facebook and Apple is really the core focus of these new proposed laws. But we do already have competition law, which is designed to tackle abuse of dominance by any company in any sector. So why is it that competition law is not deemed to be sufficient? Why do we need these new specific rules just for these platforms? Well, I think that um, competition law you know, it's a very powerful tool. Uh, the European Commission has been a leading enforcer in, in the field. Um, and they've been active. I mean, as you know, they have adopted three decisions against Google, and currently they're investigating Apple, Facebook, and Amazon. Now, I think there are basically two major downsides with, with competition law. I mean, first of all, it's a very slow instrument. Uh, you recall the number of years it took uh, to the commission to investigate Google. And um, time is of the essence in digital markets because markets can tip quickly. Um, also, by the time that you reach a decision, uh, the subject of the decision may no longer be relevant because the markets and, and the technologies may have moved. So I think there's a question of time that is that is really critical. Then the second thing is that it's been very difficult for the Commission to adopt remedies that would restore competition, right? I mean, if you look uh, at the position of Google on a number of critical markets that were, you know, looked at by the Commission, I mean, Google is still as strong as it was before uh, the decisions were were adopted, and. And, and it is not clear that even after being on the receiving end of three decisions and paying 
lots of billions in fine, Google and others will be deterred simply because you have also companies that have a, a huge amount of wealth. Um, I mean, fines in billions would have, you know, totally wrecked uh, brick and mortar companies who can pay these sort of fines and still drive. But in the case of companies that may have a hundred billion dollars in cash, you know, paying a couple of billion of, 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 of euros in fines doesn't really matter. So I think that we've, you know, competition law is a wonderful tool that still has a role to play, but I think we've reached the outer limits of what it can deliver in, in digital markets. And then the question comes, what can we do? And here's the DMA. I think the DMA could be uh, a, a solution by, you know, laying out very clear principles uh, that would apply to these companies and having probably processes that would be faster than competition law. So that, that's, I think, what led to uh, the, this proposal uh, of the DMA. So the DMA, the Digital Markets Act, will apply only to so-called gatekeeper companies. Can you explain what those are? Yes. Yeah, so I think th there are two answers to the question. I mean, the, the first answer is a general one. What is a gatekeeper? Well, a gatekeeper is you know, someone who holds the key to the gate, basically, right? So it's typically a company that has, um, you know, that is a gateway uh, between businesses and users, right? So, for example, if you want to have your app uh, distributed on the App Store, well, um, you know, you have to go to, to, to the App Store. I mean, there's no way around it. So it basically holds the key to the gate. Um, so that's a general answer. Now, uh, in the DMA, you've got a definition of a gatekeeper, and a gatekeeper is a platform that meets a certain number of qualitative criteria, um, and um, these qualitative criteria are presumed to be met based on quantitative criteria. So it's an interesting combination of qualitative and quantitative criteria. And so I think that it will take a bit of time for companies to figure out whether they're in or out. I mean, obviously, I think the big four or the big five will be covered by that definition, but a range of other companies will have to do the math, basically looking at the quantitative criteria, which can include, for example, turnover, but also number of users to find out whether they could possibly find into the definition, fall into the definition. Yeah. And once in the, in the definition, once the Digital Markets Act is implemented, these companies would be subject to certain obligations which are designed to kind of encourage them to keep that gate open, so to, to not to lock it, to keep it open, so that so that competitors and new companies, startups, scale ups are able to uh, to reach their customers without barriers being put in the way. That's exactly the the idea, mm. um, and hopefully that should be the outcome of this uh, piece of legislation. So essentially, the commission has concluded that prevention is better than cure and some principles need to apply to these gatekeeper companies and these are pretty far-reaching for example if you're apple or google and you're running an app store 
you, under these new principles, you would have to allow the owners of the apps to have access to their customer data. You can't take their data and use it to drive your own competing services. You can't give preference to your own services over competing ones. You can't block your competitors from offering promotions to their users for services outside the app system. And if you sell devices with pre-installed apps or software, you have to make it much easier for consumers to uninstall them and switch. Now, those are just a few of the principles, but they are potential game changers for many companies. Take the news industry, for example, which really wants to build a healthy online subscription business and yet finds itself almost wholly reliant on Google and Facebook as the channel or gateway to that market. Yeah, I think the news industry is uh, is an interesting uh you know, area to talk about. I mean, I mean, obviously, they've been very strongly challenged by the platforms. And, you know, it is sometimes say, well, they failed to adapt their business model. I mean, it's not entirely true, actually, if you think about, you know, if you look at quality newspapers, I mean, they, they've done a lot to strengthen their content, to use, you know, new tools and technologies. Uh, they've expanded massively uh, their content range. Um, so I think they've done a lot. Now, I mean, obviously, where they're facing difficulties is that, you know, ad spend is increasingly going to Google and Facebook. So a, a very strong line of revenues historically has just evaporated. So I think that this is really the, the big challenge for them. Now, I think, I think indeed there's some interesting provisions for the news industry um, in the DMA. I think there are very interesting provisions also for companies that depend on app stores, uh, because if you look at Article 5 and 6 of the DMA, they contain a number of principles which are very close to the principles that have been discussed, uh, for example, by the Coalition for App Fairness. So I, I think I think that's definitely a plus for companies depending on on platforms. But I think generally, uh, you know, various industries we spend the next few weeks trying to figure out, you know, what's good for them, what's not so good for them, what should be redrafted, what should be expanded, what should be cut, uh, and with you know. So, so I think generally, uh, most companies depending on the platforms will consider that the, the general direction of the DMA is good, but I think they will think about what needs to be improved for them to you know, get what they, they want from the proposal. Hmm. And of course, it, I mean, it's easy to sort of fall into the trap of thinking this that this is kind of all of industry against the GAFA companies, but actually there's quite a lot of tension between the GAFA companies as well. I mean, we've seen Facebook issuing these quite aggressive ads against Apple in recent uh, in recent days, so yeah. that's quite an interesting dynamic, also. Yeah, and I think there, you know, you can, if I if I may, just add a, a couple of ideas. I mean, I think there, you really see a fracture now between a company like Apple and companies like Google and Facebook, because Apple is, you know, trying to push uh, its privacy credentials. Uh, you know, uh, which which are not as strong as one would think. I mean, um, I think they're a bit hypocritical there, 
but they're tr definitely trying to to throw Facebook and Google under the bus, you know, exposing their business model. So I think it's interesting indeed to see that the GAFAs between them, you know, are not necessarily aligned. In fact, they're not aligned at all on, on many issues. No, they're really not. Um, but they're all under unprecedented levels of regulatory scrutiny and not just from the European Union. Yeah, sure. And um, I, I think, you know, um, many, many people, especially on the other side of the Atlantic, I mean, typically suggested that, you know, Europeans were protectionists and uh, because we didn't have any successful, um, you know, digital platforms, uh, we wanted if we can't, if we couldn't beat them, you know, we wanted to regulate them. Now, of course, um, we've seen in recent months that the sort of concerns that have been expressed in the European Union uh, are also present uh, in other parts of the world. I mean, the Australians, for example, have been looking very critically uh, at um, at digital platforms. The UK, which is no longer part of the European Union, is also looking very closely at them. And then finally, the United States uh, is also worried about, you know, the, the massive market power that has been accumulated by the big four, big five platforms. We could see that with hearings in the US Congress where the CEOs, um, of Apple, you know, Amazon, Facebook, and uh, Google uh, had were invited to testify and were bombarded with, you know, fairly uh, aggressive uh, questions. And now we've seen in the past few weeks that uh, the Department of Justice, the FTC, and almost literally almost all U.S. states have been filing lawsuits against. Uh, Google and, and Facebook. So I think that the idea that the sort of concerns we've been discussing so far are just European concerns uh, based on protectionism uh, or, you know, our own economic failures. I think this idea just died uh, this year in 2020, um, uh, given the fact that, you know, even the US, which is hosting these companies and where these companies create tremendous wealth, jobs and innovation um, is looking at them. I also think that um, the Commission most probably had not only Silicon Valley in mind when drafting these proposals. Um, quite a few of the um, maybe lesser known but still huge companies from China or India or Japan um, could also fall within the scope of these new rules. And um, it is not necessarily at the in the current situation not necessarily just an eu us situation i think the eu with these proposals expresses also its desire to shape a global standard for online business um, and that is uh, fascinating to see because with uh, privacy protection and with um, chemicals legislation and with uh, food safety rules, the EU has already demonstrated that it really has a global reach in terms of inspiring um, lawmakers. Yes, with the GDPR being the most famous example of the EU successfully exporting its rulebook around the world. Now, Thomas, this legislation is just a draft text at the moment, so we're right at the beginning of a process. What happens next? 
the proposals by the Commission will are sent to the European Parliament and to the European Council, where the ministers of the member states sit. They will each um, look at it uh, separately, propose amendments, uh, improvements, and then compare between the European Parliament and the Council whether they agree, whether they go in the same direction, or whether there are differences, and sort out compromise between the two positions. And it's only when the same text is approved by Parliament and Council that it becomes European law. So the Brussels compromise machine will be in full motion. And this process will take about a year and a half to two years. Um, and of course, uh, in the, the course of that process, many things may still change. Uh, the Commission has put its proposals on the table, but uh, obviously, certainly in details um, and also in, in terms of the, 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 the teeth of the instrument, there will be um, difficult but, but fascinating debates. Um, one can see that the Parliament will be mostly supportive uh, of the Commission text because it contains many suggestions that the Parliament made prior to these proposals. Uh, member states uh, are a bit more difficult because you see different positioning uh, at the outset. Um, but let's wait and see what the debate produces. Now, the, the, the interesting element, of course, is that the reality uh, of, of the digital markets is such that the situation may already change or evolve during the legislative process. If we're talking two years, the world may be different in two years. Just think that two years ago, we didn't know COVID. Um, so um, those events can also greatly influence the ultimate outcome of that legislative process. Yes, absolutely. So, and, and what about the, the council then? How do we see the different member states aligning so far? Well, what you essentially see, and, and I'm grossly simplifying here, but that there is um, support from France and Germany uh, for the Commission proposals, although uh, it's too early to say whether that support goes uh, for every little single provision and detail, uh, but broadly speaking, uh, they're on site. Nordic countries are uh, slightly more critical um, because they fear this interventionist uh, aspects, um, and they, of course, have also domestic um, market issues that they want to see properly addressed. Um, you will no doubt see some influence in, in uh, the countries where some of the big targeted companies uh, are, are, uh, are hosted, uh, Ireland, for example. Um, so it's going to be fascinating. But I do believe that in reality, the, the compromise will be found based on the European treaties, because that is the real foundation of these proposals. And so um, where particular provisions may be modified, the fundamentals protecting European citizens properly will stay in place. I, I agree with that. And, and I, just one point on the DMA. What, what's been striking in the DMA is that the Commission is envisaging uh, full harmonization, which means that it would no longer be possible for the member states to adopt their own regime, you know, for example, going beyond what the Commission uh, is, has, you know, I mean, going beyond what, what would be in the final binding text, right? 
And, and also there's very little, if any, role at all for the member states. I think that uh, on the one hand, they will probably support the general direction of the DMA, thinking that indeed, you know, the big platforms need to be constrained. On the other hand, they might be concerned that, you know, the ability to do so will be fully and only in the hands of the Commission, mm. right? Um, and if the Commission uh, is not taking proper action, well then, um, I think not much will happen. Uh, for example, in the DMA, the Commission is suggesting that it may take 80 full-time equivalent, you know, um, Commission officials uh, to implement and enforce the DMA, I think it's a very, very small number. I mean, uh, the job will not get done with such a tiny group of people considering the complexity of the issues in questions and considering as well the resistance of the big platforms, which will have unlimited resources to fight the process. So I think, would I be the French and the Germans? On the one hand, I would be pleased with the general direction, but at the same time, I would want to make sure that there will be sufficient resources at the Commission to make this happen. Can I add something here? Because we speak a lot here about enforcement and about where the power to enforce will reside. But the, the reality is also that even at this stage, proposals made that would cover the European internal market, let's not forget, it is the most integrated, richest market in the world, the highest buying power, that these legislative proposals in itself have already a great influence and will force companies, and not just the big four uh, that we mentioned, will force companies to think about their business models and to think about what regulatory regime they may face one day. So there is already a persuasive power coming from the mere proposals without even being adopted, let alone being enforced. And that in, in a global um, digital economy is already a tremendous impact. Yes, and let's hope that this persuasive power gives heart to the many innovators and entrepreneurs who are looking at the internet as it is today, beset with problems like disinformation and intrusive data surveillance and who are considering launching new services and new ways of doing things that could be better for us all as consumers and as citizens. And I think the EU will be hoping that these people are in no doubt that the EU intends to force gatekeepers to keep the gates to the digital market open so that these people can succeed. Thank you both so much for joining me. Have a great day. Music